Hi, I'm Pam Druckerman, and this is Tell Me What You Really Think, where I sit down with innovators and change makers to talk about the role of the media in these unsettling and chaotic times we're all living through. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite topics and one that gives us great hope for the future, the metaverse, where we currently are, where we're going, NFTs, crypto, and a special focus on digital fashion and the idea of identity. Do you have to be who you are in the real world in the metaverse? Maybe, maybe not. To help me navigate my way through all of these questions and this innovation, I have not one, but two special guests joining me today. We have Megan McDowell, Senior Innovation Editor at Vogue Business, where she leads coverage of technology and innovation. In addition to that, she has a weekly tech edit newsletter and her own tech edit podcast. I won't be offended. You haven't invited me on yours just yet, but I'm sure we'll get there. She's a leading expert on fashion in the metaverse and Web3 and has a great deal to teach us today. We also have the amazing Alice De La Hunt, founder and CEO, non-exec board director of Soho House Group, previous chief digital and content officer at Ralph Lauren, and director of digital marketing and social media at Burberry. You have had quite the uh, chapter. Where is she now? We will have to listen to find out. Alice actually joined me on my inaugural podcast episode last year. She's spoken to me endlessly about the metaverse, Web3, and crypto, probably more than any person, even my amazing wife. So, ladies, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. The majority of this season of Tell Me What You Really Think has centered around social topics and how the media helps to push things forward or create much-needed change. I know as my fellow queers... I just outed both of you. Sorry. Both of you probably feel that every single day. We're here today for different and way more exciting and uplifting reasons. I think one of the biggest life-altering moments we're headed for or are already in is the coming of Web3, the decentralized web, and with that, the tremendous opportunity for change, equality, and even sustainability. I'm actually thrilled to have both of you on the pod at the same time. It's actually a threesome my wife would approve of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, Linz. Uh, um, yeah. I have this question for you, though, Megan. Just how did you get into the metaverse and how did you get obsessed with Web3 and where did this begin for you? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It started with digital fashion. I knew when I discovered it, I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I felt it in my gut. It was like one of these moments in my career that was going to be really important that I shouldn't ignore. But I, you know, I'm not a tech person. I'm an analog person. Um, but I had been writing for the San Francisco Chronicle in the style section and inherently was covering these tech startups like the early days with Stitch Fix and Poshmark and ThreadUp. And Women's Wear Daily had been recruiting a tech reporter. And one of my colleagues put me forward. And I was like, what? you know, like I don't code, still don't code, don't want to code. And but I ended up getting the job and I realized the same questions that I have my readers have. And it's actually an advantage to just ask the dumb questions. And so I kind of became known as a translator between these two worlds. Vogue Business launched in early 2019. And the editor at the time, Lauren Invick, had been a tech reporter herself. And when I found out about this idea of digital fashion, it was like in February or April of 2019, I told her about it. And, she, you know, most editors would have been like, that's just like too niche. Like, what are you talking about? And by the way, take a step back for a minute, because I think you're saying something that 
you might assume everyone knows what you're talking about. What is digital fashion? So digital fashion can manifest in many ways. Essentially, I think of it as clothing and apparel and accessories, even makeup that is digital only. It can be kind of weird to think about how one would wear it. But like the analogy I make is a filter on Zoom is digital makeup. I I actually wear digital eyebrows on Zoom. I'm going to ask you the same question, Allison. Like for you, would you would you define digital fashion in the exact same way? Yeah, I think Megan touches on the core parts of it. I also think it will, you know, it will in time come into the physical space as well. And you'll have digital overlays to your physical clothes, you know, and I think that gets really exciting. Alice, I've known you to be on the digital forefront, as I said earlier. I don't know, since the moment I met you, you were always leading and thinking differently and challenging me and people around you, just in terms of like your innovative spirit and your innovative brain is constantly going there. So to me, your focus and obsession with the digital marketplace, so to speak, is not a surprise at all. You've always been there. I'm curious, just broadly, what led you to where you are now? Um, Well, thank you for saying all of that. That's really kind. And I think I've been lucky to be influenced by a lot of incredible mentors and people who've taught me a lot. I was always a bit of a, like, I don't want to say digital geek, but like totally, you know, I was when digital cameras came out, you know, when I asked my parents instead of a toy house of like little fake laptop that I ping, ping, ping on, you know, and something about me innately always really enjoyed technology, like the consumer element. I'm same as Megan. I don't code. I don't want to code. I know it's not going to be a skill set for me, but I know what I do well is probably understand consumer behavior as it relates to technology. I started off in the advertising industry and I heard about Angela Arendt and Christopher Bailey and what they were doing at Burberry and the thought leadership that was coming out of there. So I tried to figure out how I could get into that space. And it was such an incubator for me and for a whole host of people that have um, really accelerated in the digital world. You know, we did a lot of the firsts um, we tried and experimented um, and we had a lot of fun there. And I think that's why in 2017 and 2018, I took note of the blockchain and I thought it was really interesting. Um, Burberry was going through a transition. You know, Christopher Bailey was leaving. He was he's a still a, a mentor of, of mine and someone who it totally inspires me. I kind of got tapped up for uh, an incredible role at Ralph Lauren as chief digital officer. Um, they had a new CEO, Patrice LeVay. I was his first hire at the time. There was a big agenda with um, a big transformation job. You know, Ralph is a storyteller. And what it was really about doing is translating his vision into digital channels and, you know, making sure that there was best in class use of digital and social platforms. But I would just say that, like, taking a step back from the career progression element of it, I've just been always inherently curious about this space. It's what I love to do. And I'm lucky enough to have found my way into roles that not only encourage that, but reward that. So um, I feel very lucky and privileged to be here today. I think, you know, first of all, it's awesome to have you here uh, talking about the subject. I think in hindsight, people always look at moments like this as like, I wish I had thought of that. You know, being an early adopter is actually extremely hard. But being on the Early adopter means you're actually adopting something that's already in practice. I look at someone like you and I think, wow, like, I remember when you started talking about crypto. I remember when you started talking about the blockchain. I didn't even know what you were talking about. And I also remember at Ralph Lauren, which I know you had an incredible stint there and an incredible team that you worked with. Ralph, at that time, was one of the first brands led by you that launched into Web3. And I remember that moment 
Can you just talk about that for one second? Ralph Lauren is a brand and a man who's beloved around the world. You know, it is, everyone knows Ralph Lauren, Polo Ralph Lauren, and the different brands that exist. The first thing, which I'm really most proud of, is starting with Bitmoji and sitting down with that team and saying, hang on, this is one of the largest avatar ecosystems in the world. And, and why did you care? But why well, did you care about that then? Because we were watching the evolution of expression in the digital world, right? So you and I communicate through bitmojis, memojis, you know, emojis. And as the world becomes more digital, expression evolves, right? And the way we express ourselves evolves, right? So if you actually look at the history of emoji into the and then look at the avatar forms now, you see like a metamorphosis and it's it's only still just beginnings from my belief system and Megan and I've spoken about this a little a lot about identity but like if I am going to be in the digital world and I wear Ralph Lauren in the physical world and want to I should be able to in the digital world specifically if it's the largest avatar ecosystem in the world and that's a great thing for the brand so we partnered um we partnered with them and and I would call that my personal first proof of concept for me in my realization of how major this could be. And it was a great success for the brand too. You know, there's tens of millions of Bitmojis wearing Ralph Lauren today. But we just kind of went into the next level then and we're like, okay, but will people pay for this, right? And now obviously there's a million proof points to show that they will. But Cepetos then was the largest metaverse in APAC. Asia is a hugely advanced digital market. Cepetos had the largest digital fashion marketplace in the world. So we actually wanted to go and experiment in that space and build a world of Ralph Lauren. And actually, when you think through building it, it's not just about selling the product. It's about like getting people to spend time in the world, right? Spending time with the product, trying it on, trying out challenges, you know, and actually exchanging their digital currency for our product, which happened. And that was like, okay, people really are willing to pay for it. And then we went on to Roblox and so on and so forth. Um, but that was a real moment. And so speaking of moments, is there anything new that you're doing that you're able to share with my listeners now? <laughs> Thank you for the tea up, Pam. Bitmoji was a real moment for me because I think it was a proof of concept. And having been in the fashion industry for a while, I, I would say two things, right? One is there's a renaissance that is about to happen. And we saw it with social media and creators. So I just want to start on creators for a second. If you knew the fashion industry 10 to 15 years ago, there was a small subsection of photographers and directors who controlled the content and the storytelling of major brands. There's also still only a small subsection of major luxury brands that control the market, right? And then the iPhone came out. And then a kid in Arkansas, a kid in Korea, a kid in India could compete with some of the best photographers in the world based on the merit of their skills and the following that they got to be surfaced for a Condé Nast or a Vogue to actually be the person to come and take um, photos or, or videos and content across all of their channels. And that became like quite an equalizer. I think the exact same thing is about to happen for design, right? And I think that technology is going to enable the next generation of designers. And I think a huge proportion of them are going to be digital designers first because we already know consumers are consuming digital fashion. Look at the revenue on Fortnite for digital apparel and collectibles. It's higher than the revenue of some of the major luxury brands. You don't think I know like how much my kids spend on this? Exactly. Site? Where do you think your salary's going? I mean, literally. It's going to Roblox and Fortnite. And guess where your boys are going to be in a few years? Yeah. They're going to be buying major digital fashion pieces. So we're launching a fashion platform. I'm not calling it a digital platform, and I'm not calling it a metaverse platform. We're launching a fashion platform. And it's going to be a consumer platform to curate, share, trade, and store your fashion, as well as an incubator for the next generation of designers, who, as I said, I believe will be digital first. 
not only amazing concepts, but ultimately it's so intuitive. And you're the perfect person to, you know, help lead us into this future. And I'm glad that you're calling it a fashion platform, because I think at the end of the day, I don't think we think about, you know, what we do on our iPhones is technically digital anymore, right? I don't think we think about the time that we spend buying products on Amazon as a digital experience, just how we live our lives, right? And this is the next uh, phase of that. We're all witnessing this right now, which I'm very excited about. There's a lot of verses that we talk about, but... <laughs> The metaverse came into our vernacular about a year ago. I actually did an entire podcast on it with the editor of Wired and the CBO of Roblox. And then it was mentioned everywhere. It was almost this kind of cocktail currency. Uh, but it's actually progressed quite a bit since then, as you can see. Okay, so let's break this down. So, Megan, can you give us a 101? So I think the metaverse, first of all, I want to go on record and say there's no single agreed-upon expert definition. So Everyone has a different perspective. Alice is nodding right yeah, now. That's so she's why I giving her I just gave Megan a But big I came up with that up. myself. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think you did just, actually. And I think it's very smart, astute, and true. So, but that being said, yeah. the way I tend to think of it is increasingly digital elements, digital products, digital people, digital spaces will be intertwined in our life and more relevant in our life. And it can be augmented reality or mixed reality or virtual reality. And I don't think it's a single place, and I don't think there's a single moment in time when it's going to exist. I think it's more conceptual, and I think when we stop trying to define it is when we're going to know that it's here. Interesting. NFT stands for non-fungible tokens, and it's a blockchain-based concept that essentially is a contract, a record that has certain rules, and it can point to certain ownership, and it can enable certain... Behaviors, whatever you program into the contract. Such as? Such as, for example, if I have a certain NFT and I connect my wallet, my crypto wallet, which I haven't defined yet, but if I connect my crypto wallet, which holds my tokens, to hypothetically a website, I can get special discounts. I can get special offers or special products. So it's basically a smart contract. That can say anything. It can say, I own this digital bag. can say... Is it a currency? It depends how you define currency. They have value. Mm -hmm. Crypto is obviously thought of as cryptocurrency. Currency. Alice, how would you answer that question? I think Megan did a great job. <laughs> Thank you. I do. I, I think, look, I think, look at the real world. Fungible and non-fungible, right? Our dollars are fungible, right? That but, means this one dollar is pretty much the same as the other dollar. There's a serial number, but I give you a dollar and then... I give Alice a dollar, and if y'all trade, you still have the exact same thing. It's an, it's equal, yeah. right? Dollar, yen, euro, whatever. It's fungible. Non-fungible is like art, right? We can trade a Picasso for a Pollock, right? But like they're not absolutely equal. They're art pieces with great value, but they're not equal, right? Well, so then why do you think this is so conf You made a really great point, which is you said we'll know that we've arrived when we stop trying to define it. But why do you think people are trying so hard to define it? it? It seems to me that maybe people don't understand what it is. And why do you think it's so complicated for the average person to understand? So I think what happened is that if we all recall, you know, 2020 was an odd time. And this idea of NFTs wasn't necessarily new 
but we were living in a very newly digital world. And for some reason, some spark happened where the concept of NFT got all this hype and all this momentum before it was ready for the spotlight, in my opinion. I I still think we're not quite there in terms of utility, in in terms of user experience. Mm -hmm. And so people want to tap into this hype and there's this natural curiosity, but I don't think that it was quite ready for the type of mainstream awareness that we're currently experiencing. Then Facebook renamed itself Meta. And then that, you know, kind of had a big impact on the word metaverse. Yeah, I think they they tried they scooped quite a lot. Um, yeah, I, I read agree. a stat <laughs> they did. I read a stat about our future that by 2026, two billion people globally will spend at least one hour a day in the metaverse, and that the total value of virtual goods at that time could be as high as 200 billion, which is insane. Help me understand through the lens of fashion, like what's exciting about it, what is so innovative, what's changing. Yeah, I think creativity. I mean, like what Alice was talking about. It's like the access to creativity, um, expansion of creativity. Literally, you can defy physics. I think that's what gets me excited about it is that you can explore creativity and enable things that weren't previously possible. The uh, Ralph Lauren on Roblox experience over the holidays in 2021 you guys brought back heritage pieces yes. that weren't that accessible yes. in the physical world, but you essentially time traveled in fashion. Super cool, right? It was amazing. Super relatable. It's not a complicated concept to understand. I think that's what the metaverse means for fashion. In the digital fashion space, can you have craftsmanship in digital fashion? So I believe that you absolutely can. Um, and I've come from two luxury houses where we double down on craftsmanship. Burberry at Christopher Bailey, you know, hosted... Um, shows where afterwards there was literally trade shows around these incredible craftsmen and craftswomen who'd come in to show how their product is made. Um, And it was phenomenal. It really, really was. And that was physical craftsmanship. And what was really amazing about it was talent was spending time building something meticulously, right? That exists in the digital space. I think for those who spend real time in it, you can tell the difference between a quickly sketched together version of a digital puffer jacket versus someone who spent the time and crafted their digital rendering, etching, building, lighting, all of it baked into it so that you have a literal piece of art standing in front of you from a fashion perspective. Who defines taste? Who defines craft? Because your kids in Roblox may have an entirely different perspective on which jacket is more crafted based on the tools that they've used. And would you say that digital fashion, and I think about this through the through the lens of my kids now, right? They have a whole identity in this space, right? On Roblox, they love to show me, you know, the skins that they own and and they're so excited to wear them and how it makes them feel. Where does the game end? And what is the point of digital fashion? I understand what that is for my kids, but what would it be for an adult? I think there will be multiple versions of digital fashion. Number one, the digital only, right? So the way Levi shows up in Roblox, Levi's Pam's son, Mm -hmm. the way Levi shows up in Roblox and what he buys, decides to wear, and how he wants to express himself specifically on that platform, right? I think there'll be a multitude of platforms, be it the other side, be it Fortnite, be it whatever it is that are digitally rendered products for your avatar. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be the collectibles. And I think that's really important. Look at Couture, right? You know, and the way some people buy and collect people who proudly show, you know, 30 Birkenbags that have never been worn. I think there'll be another type of digital fashion as well. 
we have to acknowledge where augmented reality is going. Snapchat, one of the largest platforms in the world with one of the best versions of an augmented reality tool, I would argue, and a huge congrats to Vogue for the partnership that you recently did with them. I thought some of the fashion was stunning in it, but that's only going to improve as well as Apple will and have very publicly, you know, are going to release lenses. So the reality is that our physical world will become augmented as well. And that shirt that you're wearing, which is stunning, may have a digital overlay to it when we are sitting here with our um, glasses on, our augmented reality glasses. And Tim Cook said, which I thought was really interesting, we won't recognize the world without augmented reality once we have the world with augmented reality in the way we can't imagine a world now without the internet. Totally agree. So I think there's going to be the designers that play in that space who add on to that beautiful Givenchy dress with a technological overlay that can be as beautiful as pieces of piece of art, or it can be functional. So I think there's buckets to digital fashion. I don't think any of it will be ring-fenced. I think we're going to see things that we can't even imagine at this moment. And I think the digital-only brands, many of them will actually scale into the physical world too. I think it's going to be so multifaceted and our brains are going to be blown. And I'm so excited for the creativity. I can't wait. Megan, you're um, you're fresh off of multiple fashion weeks, as am I. How do you think brands are starting to incorporate NFTs into their brands? And, and do you think this has been a successful approach so far? It's interesting. I think I've been to two fashion weeks so far, two seasons in which NFTs were a thing. Um, we're already seeing the strategies evolve quickly because the pace of innovation is really fast. I think a few examples that I saw that were really intriguing, um, the main one being token gating access to fashion shows. So people who buy certain NFTs can get tickets to go to the shows. Prada was a really cool example. They have a monthly capsule drop, Prada limited edition thing. And they've started attaching NFTs to it. And one collection uh, enabled one of the holders to actually attend their fashion week show. They they brought him out. They gave him this hotel room. They gave his wife like a make, makeup and, you know, and something to wear to the show. And I don't know all the details, but it was just such a high touch luxury example of how to offer something special through an NFT. Um, there was a lot of tension and kind of road bumps and there was still some, you know, uh, scorn. Like I heard from one person who had an NFT waiting for another designer show and another person in line was like, oh, you have an NFT. Well, I'm not on the right line. You know, like it was it's oh, there's wow. a lot of disdain yeah. and a lot of segregation. Which it used I think. to be like that for uh, like social media exactly. and bloggers. So yes. it's just the same. It exactly. really does feel the same. Yeah. Threat. Yeah. Yep. Um what any other examples that you really loved or any other specific NFT digital fashion piece that you love this season? I wouldn't say that's where the innovation and the exciting stuff is happening. Where is it happening? Uh, randomly at their on their own pace. Like I think Gucci is doing really cool stuff. They're yeah. doing really cool partnerships. You know what I'm really watching with Gucci is like they have they house their NFT and Web3 and Metaverse stuff under this concept of Gucci Vault, mm -hmm. which also houses their pre-owned or secondhand or vintage pieces. And it's pretty obvious to me, it's just one click away from attaching resale to the blockchain through NFTs and Gucci can continue to make revenue every time that piece is sold. Yes, absolutely. Like brilliant. To absolutely. incentivize resale is 100%. so sustainable. It's just make that's that's the kind of thing that's exciting to me.
what we haven't talked about is the volatility of the market and what's mm. going on and how does one know like what ships have sailed um, and when to jump into the water, meaning are there still investment opportunities to play in? And I know the answer is obviously yes. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, it got so big for a minute, the crypto world in particular. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Beyond crypto um, and beyond Web3, I think there's huge macroeconomic shifts that we're seeing, you know, from inflation to socioeconomic issues to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We're in a recession. And I think if we're all paying attention, it's looking like 2023 is going to be pretty bumpy. Right. So I think that is, of course, going to have a natural impact on crypto and Web3. Um, and I think something Megan touched on earlier is really, really important is that there was actually a lot of hype, too much hype around NFTs and around the metaverse. I think it became almost hyperbolic in terms of where we were versus what the market was saying. I think a lot of companies that had unrealistic valuations have like been shaken out a little bit. And I think that we've also seen these cycles before in cryptocurrency. So if you're a long-term crypto person, you've weathered this storm before. What I will say about it, though, is when you remove all of the noise and just look at the data and what's happening, if you look at Ethereum and Visa, Ethereum handled the equivalent of over $11 trillion in transaction value in 2021. Visa handled over $10 trillion, right? So when you ask is something like Ethereum, which I know you're not asking, but when, you know, is something like Ethereum going to go away? It's not, right. you know, and we've seen the merge happen, which has made it an entirely new, um, more productive uh, blockchain. So I think that's something really important. I think, you know, we saw a lot of hype with COVID and a lot of growth in the stock market as a result. Take away all of that. Roblox had its rec most record breaking quarter last quarter, right in the middle of the bear market in terms of engagement and in user growth. It is the fourth largest YouTube channel that exists, Roblox. So that's a platform and a metaverse that continues to grow. And um, I think that, you know, countries are readying themselves. You know, we've seen the US, uh, specifically the White House, published a comprehensive framework for responsible development of digital assets. Um, in June, the EU struck an agreement specifically around crypto and digital assets as well. And last week, uh, Japan's prime minister um, spoke about the importance of integration of Web3 in a public policy perspective. So we are seeing seismic shifts happen despite this volatility in the market itself. Um, I'd also say that Disney, Ticketmaster, MasterCard and Starbucks became really large brands who have embraced and will roll out more Web3 and metaverse-based projects. And they'll bring mass adoption with them. And I think we'll stop calling it Web3 and metaverses, to Megan's point, and NFTs. And it's just going to be, from a consumer's perspective, a technology shift. But I think we'll move beyond that being a primary behavior, and it will be a part of behavior. Whereas, like, kids, us, will all just be using the metaverse, Web3, and NFTs without even realizing well, we I think are. That, I, great answer. So I think while you have all of this, like, infrastructure and business, trying to really understand how to focus on something that isn't 100% transactional yet, and I think because they're trying to figure out how to make something that isn't obvious in terms of like, well, how many consumers are there and how do we make it transactional? It's like the same thing in my mind when we went from like bricks to e-commerce, you know, and this concept of like, well, how am I connecting with this person in store if they're not in store and they're on online? What does that mean that they're online? Where are they? 
Um, and I just remember that conversation happening and, you know, this concept of like the World Wide Web. Yes. Right. And yes. it's like, I don't know. I'm on the Internet. Yes, like absolutely. I'm lawless. I don't know where I am. And now the Internet is just our every day. And in, in fact, to we don't talk about that. Right. right. It's like I'm not I'm going on the Internet this morning. I'm going to have an experience in the Internet. And, and I sent and you I an electronic call... message. Yes. Right. And here's the digital photo I took of us all together. Yeah. Right. You know <laughs> what I know for a fact is this is already moving like it's happening. Alice, on my podcast last year, you spoke very eloquently about those who have traditionally not been included and have been disenfranchised um, are now invited into new spaces and places they have never been before. Um, Alice, is the metaverse a great equalizer of sorts? And if so, where does this leave the luxury market? I'm a big believer in technology being an equalizer. But I think we're, we've massive opportunity here. 16% of NFT holders are women and 20% of creators, developers, and those working in Web3 are women. That's a big wow. problem. And I think what we have to do and what there's a huge responsibility for us as consumers, but also people who are capital allocators, we have to look at the founders, what they're building, how diverse is the team, is the problem that they're approaching. And I think that really has to shift. Otherwise, we're going to build a digital world and a next generation digital version of this world that is built for a small subsection of people who are only a marginal group of people when you look at the wider demographics of the world. And for me, that's really, really important. Actually, the company that I'm building at the moment, we're going to flow um, a percentage of net revenue into bringing connectivity and hardware to underserved communities and areas because I have a huge belief that talent um, is not relegated to a small subsection of people, but is equally distributed around the world. And the more we give access, uh, talent access, and the ability to build like we all have, the better a world that we we can be a part of. What else are you seeing? What else are we seeing in the metaverse that creates more equality for users that allows for masking or unmasking of identity? And what implications or benefits do you think that it has? Yeah, so this is one of my favorite topics. Uh, one of my two favorite, my other favorites is like the IP trademark stuff is super interesting. But this one, it's really interesting because we have to answer ethical questions we haven't had to answer before. And what I mean by that is... Technically, I could design my Bitboji to look whatever I want it to look like. Right now, it's a fat rainbow bee. But, you know, like, you know, that's the real me, guys. Yeah. Um, so I think there's some really interesting implications here. It, it can be wonderful to explore identity in a way that you're not able to in the physical world or you're not ready to yet. Um, there's someone I know who came out as gay on Roblox a year before he came out to his physical friends. I think that's amazingly powerful. We've heard about people playing with their gender identity, their expression, um, trying on even, you know, sometimes I have pink hair on one of my avatars. Great. What's concerning is the flip side is if someone adopts a different skin color or if male people who identify as male become females in certain spaces and use that you know, for nefarious means. So I think we're really having to explore, you know, ethical questions about what is and is not okay. So I think what's interesting about this is that certain people have privilege and others don't. This is a very complex topic. So, for example, if I'm hypothetically a white man and I go as a black woman in a virtual space, that could actually be educational because I might experience the world through a different perspective that I might not have insights into. So that could be a good thing. But you don't want someone taking the space, again, of a black woman or invading a space that is their 
safe space. Mm-hmm. Now, it's hard to summarize in a few sound bites, but I think it's it's interesting. And I think another thing on that um, is this idea of PFPs, these profile pictures or these NFTs, and they're apes. They're, you know, all different characters. And you can be anonymous in Web3. You can hide behind them. And that can be good or that can be bad. Why it might be bad is like I followed this one collection, this digital fashion brand, and they said, oh, it's so inclusive, blah, blah, blah. I went on a Twitter spaces and it was all male voices. So you didn't know it was all guys. You thought it in your heart, but you're like, oh, no, it's inclusive. It was all male voices. Like, that's bad. Yeah, that is. Because you can't, you know, see who actually is on the board and who's the founder of these companies. On the other hand, there's another very prominent um, NFT collection that is not humanoid. And a lot of the people, a lot of the employees are female, but they use they people assume they're men because of the PFP they're using. And maybe they avoid discrimination. So I think. It's just so complex and so interesting. And I think the question I would like to propose to you all is like, as a group of queer women, do we have an obligation to come out? Like, it's, it's the same thing like Harry Styles. It's like he's using queer imagery and symbols. He doesn't have to come out. I think we're in a post-coming out world. But does he have an ethical obligation to others to be visible? And I think that's a question that's interesting. I mean, I think that's a question that you know, has nothing to do with Web3, actually, or nothing to yeah. do with Meta. So it's like, I do think there's a, the question mark of gender identity and there's the question mark of, you know, sexual preference that constantly comes up. I think it goes back to, and again, this is my opinion, so I am no expert here, but like going back to this whole point around nefarious, like, reasons, it's like, mm-hmm. are you trying to deceive someone? Are you trying to be divisive? Yeah. Um, and And just because you're not coming out, does that mean you're withholding? Like, I don't I don't know if that they're one in the same. And by the way, like we come from a world in which we had to come out. Right. So I don't. And like when you were young, you didn't have visible people who you identified with. And so that that's an example of why it would have been nice to see someone else. But I think the difference here in the versus the physical space is that you you kind of you have the ability to be kind of whoever you want. And so the truth of the matter is, is technology is enabling more of that anonymity. And it's 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 enabling behavior that maybe you wouldn't get away with in the physical space. I yeah. don't know, though, if it matters. I, but, Alice, what do you think? So I think it does. I have, like, you know... Which part? What what matters? I think, it, I think we have an obligation to come out, okay? Both in the physical and digital world. And here's why. By the way, I don't think there's a wrong or right answer to this. This is just a stance that I take. Mm-hmm. So I could right. totally hear someone say, we don't, and I respect it. And I'm, But I think, in the way that I have lived, that if you are safe... Um, from physical or emotional harm and have the privilege and the ability to be supported by coming out, I think you must come out. I, I think you you must be visible, specifically if you are a leader or someone that young people look up to because there are too many people in this world who are threatened by death, queer bashing, emotional and verbal abuse, and who are taking their lives because they do not and cannot be themselves. And the more of us that are visible, the more lives will be saved. And I believe that. So I get a little bit frustrated with queer baiting. Mm-hmm. I actually do. Um, I, I, you know, if that person is safe and feels like they can, I just, I wish they would because of the lives that they could change. I think, you know, my wife and I were intentional, and I get like what a privilege we were in vogue, but 
but we were intentional. Um, it actually goes a little bit, it, I find it uncomfortable at times, you know, how um, far photos can go. But mm-hmm. our wedding was in vogue and it was seen all around the world. And the amount of a homophobia I got as a result, wow. DMs with, oh, yeah, you know, wow. like, you know, some stuff that would really, you know, really make your stomach churn. But the amount of messages I got saying, thank you. You've no idea what this does. After this podcast, we will be reached out to by people saying, thank you. It's re- mm. We need you. It's important because we have voices. We have the privilege of having an audience, be it small, perhaps in comparison to others. But um, we have the ability to show people and for them to direct their homophobic circles of life to say, see, look, that's okay. But let me let me challenge you a little bit on that. Uh, here's the thing, though. Like, I totally agree with that. And we live at a time when we still need to come out. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know how many people have to tell me that they're heterosexual. And so I guess I would agree with you personally that th- we're not at that place yet. And so for all the people who need to see someone look like them, I'm happy to be that person to help them feel like they have someone that they can relate to that looks like them, that sounds like them, that they're not different, actually. But I do think there's this idea of fluidity, Mm -hmm. which I think, I don't know, is really interesting. And it's really interesting in Web3 because Mm -hmm. you have the ability to be quite fluid and it allows you to potentially explore your identity in all of these ways that in the physical space, like we're so absolute. And I think that creates the space to be fluid. And, you know, it creates the space for a kid to be like, mom, I have a boyfriend this week or mom, I have a girlfriend next week. And it really doesn't matter. It's just removing the shame yeah. from queer lifestyles and uplifting hope for young people. And I think that should translate into Web3, specifically around Megan's point of like, you know, someone coming out in that space and like being encouraged to therefore take the leap in the physical space. I think that if we have the ability to do it, we should do it. Um, And I think we're seeing that. I mean, I think I do think it's interesting Mm -hmm. that people are, you know, probably using this space in the same way they used social media to come out first. Last question before we go into a little speed round. What are you most excited about? What are you looking forward to the most about like our, our you know, and, and you don't want to call it our digital future, but I would say our future um, now enabled by this level of technology. And, and Megan, same question for you. I am most excited about technology being a greater equalizer and therefore more creativity coming into this world. I am so excited by that. That's my personal excitement. I've spent my career working with creatives. I'm not necessarily what you would traditionally call a creative. I love seeing creativity come into the world. I think it's expressive. I think it's challenging. I think it's provocative. I think it alters the way we see things um, and it can change our viewpoints. So the more of that in the world, the better. And I'm excited to dedicating, you know, the next chapter of my life to being a part of that. Yeah, I don't want to be a copycat. I was going to say creativity and and, creativity. I I define myself as an artist. And I think that's like my curiosity is why I like what I do. I mean, that's what keeps me entertained. And the fact that we're answering these really serious questions because of this technology and we're thinking and culture is being pushed in a new direction. It's like, I hate being bored. This is just so interesting. I totally agree. I, I And I would say for me, it's like freedom. 
I just mm. think this gives us so much more freedom. And I think that's really exciting yeah. to have freedom to create, access to create, you know, freedom to express, access to express. And I think those are all really important things to pursue. So listen, before we wrap, I have to ask both of you some rapid fire questions. Um, I'll just remind you again, the pod is called Tell Me What You Really Think. Okay. So now what you think I want to hear, what our listeners want to hear, but what you really think. Just go with it. Okay. Okay. All right. Alice, do you own crypto? Yes. Megan? A little. What do you own? Like 200 dollars in Ethereum. That's it? I can't, I can't talk. I can't think this fast. Yes. It's rapid fire. No, first. I'm definitely not a crypto billionaire. Like, That's full for disclosure. Sure. Moving on from you, Alice. I know you have quite she's, she's the portfolio. She's cheating. She's looking at her phone. I'm, I'm like pulling up my she's, phone really she's quickly. She's doing the math. Because this is going to take a long I, time. I am not going to tell you what I'm calling my accountant. No, I have. Yes, I do have quite a bit of crypto. Okay. I have. Well, not. I don't mean in volume. You know, I just mean different coins. My big ones. My biggest is Bitcoin. Trust fund. Go ahead. No, not at all. Just we have Dogecoin. Um, hey, I know a little bit of Doge. Um, biggest is Bitcoin, Ethereum, Polygon. I know people give Litecoin. Yeah. Got a bit of Polkadot. Sold my mana. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. um, yeah a ton of uh, like smaller coins and tokens. Too. Okay. What about land? Do you own land yes. yet? You own land. I've owned land for where years. Are you, where do you own land? I still got my Decentraland plot. I have the other side, some of the sandbox. That is amazing. And yeah. you, you, she owns no yeah. land in the physical space, but somehow <laughs> owns land. What about you? Reverse. I'm analog. You're analog. Okay, Alice, what keeps you up at night? What kept me up last night is, you know, startups are hard. You mm-hmm. know, I feel extra responsibility specifically for people and what we're trying to build and who we are in the world. So that's what kept me up last night. And what gets you out of bed in the morning, Megan? Learning. Learning. Yeah, I just I'm just love learning. I mean, I just feel so lucky. I get to talk to smart people all day and learn new things and stretch my brain. Sandbox or Decentraland, Megan? I have to go with D-Land. Alice? I think I'm going to go with Sandbox. Great. <laughs> Good. Perfect. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, artifact or The Fabricant? I don't want to name one here. Oh, no, no, no. I you don't thought, get that choice. I, I, thought, I thought about it because I was thinking about the question. And, okay, if I had to, look. You had to pick. Okay. Like if you had to wear one, maybe. Okay, listen. I have artifact stuff. So okay. I have a clone X. I have, uh, you know, a ton of different adjacent stuff for it. Um, so I'm going to go with artifact and put my money where my mouth is. I put my mouth where my money is. Thank you. Fabricant. Fabricant. Okay. Thank you both for spending this time with me and my listeners. I feel like this episode in particular has some verticals that we (laughs) could explore deeper at another time. So thank you for joining me. We'll see you next time in the metaverse, maybe. Cheers to both of you. Thanks, Pam. Thank you. Tell Me What You Really Think is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. I'm Pam Druckerman. Come hang with us next week. (laughs) 